Well, as we get started here, I'd like to uh, welcome um, some folks from uh, Illahi Country Club. You know, they meet, there's a 10 to 15 folks that meet at Illahi Country Club and they live stream every week. And Bob Thompson, when they go up there and he and Joan and they go up and they meet. So I just want to welcome you this morning and others who may be watching live stream. Um, this is an exciting time for us uh, because, uh, thank goodness for technology, because we're able to somewhat still stay connected with folks that uh, aren't here and st- around, or even if they obviously have other church homes, when they, when they leave for the summer, they're able to plug back in sometime during the week and watch back on the website. Or So technology is amazing, and it gives us some sense of continuity, so that's exciting. Let me pray about this morning, and then we're going to dive in and try to finish up this chapter 12 of Luke. Lord Jesus, as always, we pray that you'll be with us, that you'll guide us, that your spirit will give us wisdom, insight, discernment. Lord, we want to understand what Jesus, what you taught, what your word declares to us about all reality. We live in a very bizarro kind of world these days. From not only geopolitical conflict to strife and division within our own United States of America. It's complex, it's involved. We rarely find real heroes except you, Jesus. You are the ultimate hero. Lord, let that come through loud and clear as we explore your words for us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So last week, if you'll remember, we looked at this issue of fire descending from heaven. Now, we talked about that was God's, a picture of God's wrath. What was so bizarre and such the incredible turn of events is that what was the wrath directed towards or to whom was the wrath directed, and it ended up being Jesus himself, the ultimate sacrifice. I was reading a book at... Uh, one of my friends gave me this week or told me to read, and it was regarding the issue of love and made a very declarative statement, and I don't know that she's a believer in Jesus, but the writer of this book talking about love, that there is no love without justice. There is no love without justice. Now, even a secular mind can understand this and can see this and see that this is the reality of things. There's no way to have love without justice. If God is going to make his dealings with us different based upon his holiness and our lack thereof, then there has to be something that sets all things right. He has to make things just. How will he do that? Well, he could pour out his wrath on us, or he could pour out his wrath on himself through the form of his son. And so what we see in Jesus' words in Luke 12, I wish this fire was already kindled. We know for a fact that it's going to be a fire descending that's going to lick up the very sacrifice, consume the very sacrifice of his very life. If you struggle to believe that God is love, look at the cross. If you don't understand the cross, then you're in a good place today, and I hope that you walk into a deeper understanding of the cross. Let me read again. Luke chapter 12, 49 through 59, then we'll culminate. We're going to see three things. We're going to see, number one, there will be a cost. There will be division that comes into your life. We'll see that. Number two, the signs, however, are everywhere and give you a great reason to make this, well, to make this exchange, the cost of your life and division and strife potentially and even persecution, but the signs, they are everywhere, and so you, but, and here's the third, you're going to need to act, and you're going to need to act now. Nobody knows if they have another day left or not. Not a soul on this planet knows the number of their own days. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I'll repeat what we read last week, and then we'll move on. I have come to cast fire upon the earth. Again, what did we see last week? The fire was in the form of the, well, the consuming of the sacrifice, which would be God's, the Father's only Son, and He would be consumed with that fire. But it also, I believe, as I alluded to last week, again, I'll quote Forrest Gump, I think it may be a little bit of both. It's not only the fire of wrath, but it's also going to be a a following fire as well as seen through the Holy Spirit to both purify and to restore. And so I've come to cast fire on the earth, and oh, how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. That's going to be the cross. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? Everybody says, Jesus, the peace guru. Well, he came to give peace, but listen to this. He says, well, I tell you no, but rather division. And from now on, five members of one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. And they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What's the purpose of that division? Why does that division happen? It happens on two accounts. The message is a difficult message. The message is not ever going to be a popular message. John 3, verse 36, Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus. Do you think this is popular fodder for uh, maybe a get-together with your buddies uh, after a round of golf? Or do you think this is great fodder for having a few neighbors over for dinner? And then you bring up what Jesus said, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Popular, popular dinner conversation. Or maybe Romans 2, verse 5, Paul Again, talking to the Romans in this case. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, that involves a lot, but Jesus is coming back. There is going to be a day of accountability, and in being unrepentant, you're storing up for yourself wrath. And that's the message, the fullness of the message, not that just that Jesus loves you, but that Jesus died for you and took your place. He was consumed as the sacrifice so you don't have to be one day, and the righteous wrath of God doesn't have to be poured out on you, but you must obey the Son. Popular, popular message, and that will divide a household, but there are other aspects of division, and the Holy Spirit will be part of that division. Now, why would you say, well, Peter's talking to uh, the believing community here of Jews, and listen to what he says, First Peter chapter 4, verse 3. I'm going to read this from the message because I just think he does a beautiful job. Again, this is not a direct, uh, this is not really a translation for those of you who get concerned about the message. It's just, it's just commentary, so th- read it as such. He says, you've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken and profligate life. Now it's time to be done for it, for good. Of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in with the old gang anymore, but you don't have to give an account to them. They're the ones who will be called on the carpet and before God himself. In other words, your own friends are going to turn and say, man, why did he run and party with us anymore? Why why doesn't she enjoy the same kind of conversations we used to have? 
the kind of, the, well, we, they were a little toxic, but they were funny or whatever it is. And all of a sudden you begin to see division happen in your life. See, when the Holy Spirit comes to do a renewing work in your life, you will find yourself divided from the world. How he, how, I mean, how can you be set free from the world and yet still, how can you still live in it? So the fire that descends not only consumes, well, consumed the sacrifice 2,000 years ago, but the fire that descends also begins to do a renewal in you, and it will cause division with old relationships. Many of you may have experienced that, and it can even happen in the context of your own family. Certainly, that would be the case for those Jewish men and women who would be forever spurned from not only their families but the community for following this itinerant preacher named Jesus. Now let's press on. It says in verse 54, and he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, well, a shower's coming in. Well, it turns out that way. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, well, it's going to be a hot day. And it turns out that way. We know that exactly in the desert when you get the Santa Anas or when you get, but also it's true when you feel a wind blowing in sometimes and you can look forward and say, well, it may be bringing in some cool weather too. So wind can be indicative of hot or cold, but one way or the other, we get some wind out here in the desert and the dust tends to blow. And well, over time, I've been out here 36 years in the desert and over time you can begin to pick up well, you can see clouds, and are those clouds going to make it over the mountain or not? And somehow over time, you just know those clouds are going to make it over the mountain. But most of them you see building, and you say, well, that's not going to make it around these mountains. In other words, that's what Jesus is trying to tap into. He says, you can see the signs of the weather here. And he says, and when you see a south wind blowing, you say it'll be a hot day, and it turns, but you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? And then lastly, verse 57, and why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throws you into prison. I just say, I say to you, you're not going to get out of there until you've paid every last cent. Now, why is Jesus using this kind of language? Why, why not? Where's the loving guru Jesus that just says, go out and love everybody? Where is that Jesus? Why all the wrath? Why the settling? Why these... Why these uh, why these metaphors and these allegories and all these different things that he begins to, this figurative language, why, why not just to tell people to go out and love? Well, again, he describes exactly what it is so you don't get halfway through and realize, well, you know what? This isn't exactly working out like I thought. I wasn't expecting my family to turn their backs on me. I just wasn't expecting that kind of division. In Matthew chapter 10, this is something similar, a similar conversation that Jesus is having with the crowds. And listen to what he says, do not think that I came to being, verse 34 of Matthew 10, that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against mother and mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A lot of people don't ever talk about that when they're talking about loving, teaching guru Jesus. But think about that for a second. There's division coming, he says. He who loves father or mother more than me, well, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Have you taken family and put it and elevated it up above 
I've seen this over and over, you know, as the president of Lynx for all these number of years. We have, I, I've seen this happen any number of times. Something will occur in the, in the context of a family. And, at first, and, and often I've seen it occur, and uh, a child will depart from a biblical way of thinking or of a view, and the mother will come, often the mother, sometimes the father too, and take the side of the child above a, a biblical worldview, and all of a sudden it brings chaos, and then uh, most of these were men's groups, not all, but some of these were men's groups, and eventually the father gets kind of sucked away from the group, and all of a sudden, and what the mother didn't realize in, the, in an act of love, she actually elevated, she elevated the child's interest in her own mind above the biblical narrative about truth and the ability to follow Jesus. And at first, it seemed, kind of seems innocuous, but over time, it, it develops great rifts. But the rift here and the division here is between the church and that family, not in in the family, and Jesus is saying, even in the context of the family, some of your family, and many of you are listening to me, some in your family have now rejected Jesus, and it burdens you to no end, but I'm just telling you to cling tight to the Savior and don't go in the other way. Division was inevitable. Jesus told us it was inevitable. Those are hard words to hear. They're very difficult words to hear, but the gospel and human individual right to determine will inevitably lead to division within a family. If you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my name's sake will find it. Sometimes when you have to turn in a direction away from your own children. Now, I'm not saying ultimately, but when it necessitates that or children away, it's gut-wrenching. If you don't think that feels like a cross, you haven't experienced it. It's gut-wrenching. And so what I, would, what I would say to you is don't be surprised because the fire that descends from heaven can be incredibly divisive. But we live in a culture, and we see it through Hollywood. We see it through movies. We see, we see father shaming because all fathers are bad. It tends to be the script in a lot of Hollywood narratives, and I think men do feel like they haven't been, and I certainly have felt that at various points, the, the ultimate father. And then guess what happens? It's family first. It's family first. And here Jesus is saying, no, it's not family first. It's your creator first. And then if you'll trust me over time, I may reconcile you and your entire family. It's not a promise of ultimate division, but there may be momentary division. And many of you have experienced that and may be experiencing that right now. Children, grandchildren, otherwise. Now I want to talk a little bit about the second portion of this three-part passage, and that's the signs of the times. You know, it's been fascinating because I've had these conversations at various points, but I remember one, and I'll use his name because I've spoken with him publicly, but many of you know Frank Beard, who's won a, won a bunch of times on the PGA Tour, I think 11 times on the PGA Tour, was a Ryder Cup captain, uh, not a captain, but a Ryder Cup participant, player of the year one year back in the 60s and all that, and Frank's become a good friend and a friend to some of our folks here in the church, and and I uh, went through the I'm bad, I, I married, you know, his, his son who's now the head coach at Pepperdine. They won the national championship and his now wife, Susie, and uh, Michael Beard and Susie. And, you know, so I've been engaged in their family. I remember having a conversation with Frank once, and maybe I've told the story before. And Frank says, well, 
you know, one thing that he really struggled with is that there were so many prophets during the time of Jesus and all these other religions and everything else. How, how could you really be culpable? Because who's determined to be right? Who knows who's right? I mean, you got all these prophets prophesying things, and you got to pick the right one, and you don't, well, I don't know which one it is. And yet Jesus held them accountable. Jesus held them accountable for those things. So what is it? Well, I think Jesus knew a number of things, that there were things blocking people's ability to see who the real prophets were, and that was their own pride, their, maybe their desire for security, or maybe even idolatry. You can even use your religious position as a picture of idolatry, especially among the religious leaders. But it's very clear in Scripture, and it's an anchor in my soul. I've told you that many times, that there are verifiable things written through the prophets over time that came true in the life of Jesus. These were, in Jesus' time, the signs of the time. But we're not done with the signs of the time, because I'm going to even allude to a few more that are signs of the time, even in your own time, that holds you accountable as well, because you didn't live 2,000 years ago to fulfill those of the prophets. Yeah, remember in Paul's letter, in his pastoral letter to Titus, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and the apostle of Jesus, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life. Okay, so that's the gospel, will give us hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago and at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I am entrusted according to the commandment of God. In other words, God's been talking about this gospel a long time ago. He's been talking about the need for sacrifice. He's been talking about the Messiah. He's been talking, and I know you wouldn't have understood it until Jesus is, appears, but he's both going to be the suffering servant and he's going to be the king. He's going to fulfill everything. And, and Jesus was holding them accountable for what was clearly evident among them. We'll see it in a few. Uh, the tribe that he was born in, the place that he was born, the fact that he was born to a virgin, uh, all these different things the prophets had all seen. Paul says this to the, in his letter to the Hebrews as well. He begins this very letter to the, the Jewish believers in Hebrews 1.1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in, in many ways, in the last days has spoken to us in his son. Matthew 13, for truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. There were signs everywhere. And Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You can look up into the sky and see the way the wind is blowing and the way the clouds are forming. And in some way, you, you know exactly and say, this is what the weather's going to be like. But you can't even see the signs that are all around you. You've got blockage, idolatry, pride, security, whatever it is. But these things are blocking you from seeing what is obvious and evident. One of the reasons that they couldn't see in terms of their own idolatry was their idolatry of wanting other people to like them. You know, I, I know, I guarantee you, there are a lot of people that won't even take a step into a church or into a religious community because they don't want, well, they don't want their friends to think that they're crazy or that something's happened or they don't want to be associated with, well, with people like me. John chapter 5, verse 44, how can you believe, speaking to the religious Jews of his day, when you receive glory from one another? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? In other words, you're so intoxicated with being popular that you cannot see. Your eyes are blocked. 
and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God, don't think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you, well, he's Moses, in whom you have set your hope. They all lived under the Torah in their minds. If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In other words, Jesus is saying these are signs being fulfilled. Do you see everything that Moses wrote about the prophet that would come, about the the lamb that would be sacrificed to what? To alleviate and pass over those because God was involved in smiting the firstborn of the Egyptians as we saw before we started worship. All these signs point to me over and over and over from the standard in the wilderness and Uh, when they were being bitten by snakes and just, and if you don't know what that means, you should, because these are incredible signs that were confirmed in Jesus. You know, I've been reading a very fascinating book was sent to me by a precious man in Texas, a friend of my father's, and he he knew I'm kind of into this, but Michael Gillen, PhD, who's a former ABC News uh, science editor, but he also taught at Harvard. He's a, he's a mathematician. He's a physicist. He's a, is, is unbelievable. The guy's just brilliant, off the charts. And uh, he, he didn't grow up in a Christian family at all. He didn't, didn't believe at all, and then began to be intrigued by the ideas of both quantum mechanics and New Testament. He kind of saw a corollary, believe it or not, between quantum mechanics and New Testament and, the, and the, the need for faith. And so he began to explore. It took him a long time, but now he is an avid and pretty vocal, as you can see through his several books, very vocal follower of Jesus. And this is what he says, and I find this incredibly fascinating, incredibly fascinating. And I want to talk to you just just a minute. I'm going to read his words. Many religious claims including Christian ones, are not legitimate scientific hypotheses because they can't be independently, objectively tested or possibly refuted. Now, that's fair to say. You can't put some of these things in a laboratory and conduct your experiments on them. However, however, it doesn't mean they're not true. It only means that they're not strictly scientific in nature. He said... This proviso applies to science as well. The claim that multiple universes exist or that science can explain everything or that science and technology have more good outcomes than bad ones, these all might be true. But because they cannot be tested and possibly refuted, they do not qualify as legitimate scientific hypotheses. Instead, they fall under the category of religious and philosophical beliefs. However, and this is the point, Many of the Old Testament messianic prophecies are vague and can be defended persuasively, I think, only with the benefit of hindsight. But, and this is a big but here, others are more like scientific hypotheses. They can be tested and possibly refuted. They are the ones that caught my eye. Now, here's a scientist, and these caught his eye. What? Well, they're very things that Jesus was calling the signs of the time. Here you have a 21st century, brilliantly trained, educated, insightful, thoughtful person that goes, wait a minute, these caught my eye. And why? Because they can be scientifically proven in beyond a shadow of a doubt? Well, no, but he goes on to say, I repeat, proof in matters as complex as this isn't an option. The best we can ever say about any hypothesis, scientific or otherwise, is that it's consistent 
with the best available evidence. Jesus was holding them accountable because, yeah, it was a little complex, and some of them they wouldn't understand until they had the hindsight, but there were things right in front of them, again, from the tribe to these, to, the, to, to all the things. And at this point, when he's saying these things, they don't understand he's even going to go to the cross, not even his disciples did. But Daniel's prophecy about when he would come and, 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 and all the different things, and the Son of Man and, and appearing before and having all this great authority in Daniel, and he's referring to himself as the Son of Man, there, was, there, the, there were already signs of the time that would hold them accountable, and he called them hypocrites because they couldn't see it. Why? Because they were, well, because they wanted to be popular. They wanted glory from one another, and he held them accountable. The signs were everywhere, and the signs, guess what? The signs still are. I'm just going to take you through just a few that I wrote down. I don't have time. Many of you know that I think if probably one thing's characterized my ministry over the last several decades, it's been my interest in the prophetic fulfillment, not only of those that were filled during the time of Jesus, but even some of the things that are being fulfilled in our own lifetime. And I'm not talking about some bizarre view of eschatology in the future. I'm talking about the spiritual restoration of the Jewish people and other things like that, something I'll be speaking on in Budapest coming up in a number of months. Listen to a few. The temple was destroyed exactly as Jesus had prophesied. We knew that, but those disciples who lived and those religious leaders, they never saw that, but that's a sign of the time for you. We can verify that. Jesus prophesied it. And then it occurred. Not one stone was left upon another. That happened. We have 2,000 years under our spiritual belts. The nations have bowed the knee to Jesus. Billions. You don't think that the Bible's full of places that say the nations are going to come? Everyone to the remotest parts of the earth are going to hear this message and respond? Billions. Billions have come into the kingdom. They couldn't have possibly understood that. What a sign had they only known that. But they operated on what they knew. And God said, Jesus said there was enough, that they already knew enough. And I'm telling you today that there is enough for you to believe if, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Israel became a nation again in 1948, something prophesied close to 700 times that they would return to the land. Many in Israel are turning to Jesus in these days, as prophesied by Isaiah as an example. The world has become more hostile and brutal, as Jesus said would be the case. Rumors of wars, the 20th century was more brutal than any other century ever, ever. More people died under Marxist ideology and other things, genocide and every other possible thing. Put that together in the 20th century, and millions upon millions upon millions of people died in a more educated atmosphere than we had ever seen in the earth. The age-old idea that men would get better through education and advancement and all that just has been obliterated by the sad history of the 20th century. And now even in the 21st century, where are we? Can you, people are still just, they cannot imagine that there is a war, a European war again. They can't imagine it. They just can't imagine that that the old regime has risen, and, and have you seen? Of course you've seen. Have you seen the desolation of many of these Ukrainian cities in an educated and enlightened time? Jesus talked about it. Science has given us a more clear understanding of the impossibility of chance. We know more through science now that there has to be a divine mind. Some would say, well, I argue that point. Well, let's talk about it. I think we should, I'd love to have open dialogue about that. And I hope one day in the church at the Red Door we're able to have open forums and we can bring a scientist that 
doesn't believe in God, and then scientists that maybe even like Dr. Gillen here that believe in God and have open forums and have conversations. Archaeology is confirmed over and over and over that the people of the Bible existed from King David. To, you just go down a long litany of things. For, for many years, historical criticism and other things said this is ridiculous. Even, even the Jesus Seminar said Jesus doesn't exist. Well, now there's no scholar worth his weight at all that believes that Jesus didn't exist based on all the other manuscripts and extant manuscripts that we have now. The corroboration of historical data and archaeology confirm over and over and over and over again that the Bible is both reliable and true. So what do we do with all that? Do you see Jesus holding to account based on the signs of the times? Do you recognize that in your own lifetime, Jewish men and women turning and saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is is the very messianic prophecy that our forefathers had been promised, the seed to Abraham that would bless the nations, and they are, and that, that voice is being ratcheted up in your lifetime, more and more Jewish men and women. Who could have imagined Jews for Jesus even existed? Everybody has heard at some point about Jews for Jesus. Again, signs of the time. We're accountable. Not only are we accountable what we can see in hindsight in the fulfillment of prophecy after prophecy, this generation has more information to corroborate the story, the meta-narrative of all of Scripture than any other generation has ever had. Through science, archaeology, the, the reemergence of the nation of Israel, and everything that they had in the New Testament. And even before Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus was already holding them accountable. If he could hold them accountable without even seeing his resurrection based on the signs of the times during their moment in time, how much more accountable will we be held based upon, well, something holds us back. And usually it's the same. With security, we don't want division. We don't want to be seen as one of those nut jobs, you know, one of those Christians, one of those evangelists, whatever you want to lump us in with. I, I just want to be called a follower of Jesus. That's it. I don't care what kind of denomination or what kind of flavor or anything. I just want to be a follower of Jesus. Do you understand that? We have more information about the beauty and the veracity of Scripture than any other generation has ever had. What would Jesus say to us? Same thing. There's going to be a cost. The signs are everywhere. And lastly, you need to act now. Now, this seems kind of, there's part of Jesus' conversations where you need to count the costs, and that's true. But there is a day and a season for that, but most people never enter that. The, the time to count the cost is not, doesn't have to be a 5, 10, 15-year process. But at some point, you need to settle the accounts. Listen to Wearsby as he talks about this. Anyone will do whatever is necessary to stay out of prison. But how many people will apply that same concern and diligence to stay out of hell? We're talking about hell. We're not talking about hell. Again, what is hell? Hell's finally getting what you always wanted. You don't have to live under God's rule and reign in hell. But it's also going to be full of chaos and anarchy. When God's will doesn't reign supreme, not a good place to be. If lawyers and judges would examine God's word as diligently as they examine their law books, they'll gain a wisdom that the law cannot give. The nation of Israel was marching to judgment. Again, talking about the destruction of the temple. And the judge was Almighty God, yet they would not seek for terms of peace. 
Jesus knew that the Roman armies would come to destroy the city and the temple, but he could not convince the people to repent. Their debt was mounting up, and they would have to pay the last mite. We must apply these truths to our own lives personally today, right now, today. If we knew a storm was coming, well, we would prepare for it. If we knew the officer was coming to take us to court, well, we'd get a lawyer and try to settle the case out of court. The storm of God's wrath is coming. People don't want to hear that message, do they? I don't know how you take this Bible in all of its glory and somehow preach year after year after year and never touch on the beauty and the holiness of God's desire for justice that must end in wrath towards the unrighteous. I don't know how you I don't know how you can preach Jesus' good moral teacher. He was a great moral teacher, but that's not the primary purpose. He came to die, to be the ultimate sacrifice, to be consumed by fire from heaven for you. That's the message. The storm of God's wrath is coming. The judge is already standing before the door. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Israel did experience judgment in time. We know that for a fact. Luke chapter 13, verse 34. Listen to Jesus cry. Can't you see the time? Don't you understand? Don't you want to settle the accounts? Follow me, follow me, follow me. Live under the judgment. I am your umbrella. I will take the judgment for you. Listen to what he says in verse 34 of Luke 13, which we'll get to in weeks to come. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. The signs were everywhere, and yet you wouldn't have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, You will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And for that reason, and many of you know, I believe until there is a transformative spiritual awakening that is broad-sweeping among Jewish people to believe into their long-awaited Messiah, many are secular today, but until that happens, I don't think Jesus returns. I've told you many times, that's the only thing I see out in the future that I can, I don't know about, I know Antichrist, and I know 666, and I know all that kind of thing, and bowls of wrath, and all. I realize all of that, but those are very hard to identify. In fact, I think there's a cyclicality to them over the last 2,000 years. You'll see it over and over and over happen among cultures. Bowls of wrath poured out, and, and Antichrist, even the Bible says there are many Antichrists that have gone out into the world. I don't know what your, your view is, your dispensational view, or how you view the future. One thing I do know is that Jesus says, I'm not coming back until the Jews are pleading for me to come back and giving me a celebratory kind of a a return party, just like they gave me when I came in, riding on a donkey. Remember that? We call it Palm Sunday. Which, by the way, was also foreseen by the prophets, which was another sign of the time that their king would come to them with humility and mounted on a donkey. Another sign that they would be held accountable for. However, we too will experience judgment. We will, will we recognize the signs of the time? Will you today here in the 21st century? Will we settle our cosmic account? Will you settle your cosmic account with the one we have wronged? 
Will we choose to give our lives to Jesus and allow him to pay our debts for us, or will you go it alone? That's the message. That's Jesus' message, not just some, who cares about what I think? Unless I'm adequately demonstrating the very teaching and the core of Jesus' conversation with his disciples and the crowds. You know, we vastly, we vastly underestimate something. The immensity of the de- devastation, I wrote these words this last week, the immensity of the devastation that happened on the cross must parallel the immensity of the devastation our fallen lives have perpetrated upon God's good creation. I'm guilty. There's no way around it. I've affected other people's lives adversely. I'm guilty. I'm due justice. That's not a popular message. But it's a beautiful message once you, once you can say, I am guilty, the message of the cross is beautiful. And many of you, in the sound of my voice, maybe watching on television or otherwise, many of you have believed that, and it's the most glorious, beautiful message. And yet, when you take that back into popular culture, people don't want to hear that they've caused devastation and that they are standing alone. They are to be indicted one day. Some rejected, some accepted. I don't understand now from my perspective how you could, but many can't see because they, they, well, they don't want division. They don't want there to be a cost, and they don't want to pick up their cross. James chapter 5, verse 9, in closing, do not complain, brothers, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. There's a, there's, a, there's a moment in time we just have to say, today's the day. Do you, do you hear Jesus' words? Settle your accounts today. Nobody wants to go to prison. Nobody wants that. In Jerusalem's context, the Romans were going to come in and wipe out their city. In your context, in our parallel, settle your accounts today, not through religious activity, not through No, just through a simplicity of believing upon the name of Jesus, being born again, baptized, filled with the Spirit, Jesus made it very, very plain. It's not ambiguous. And then lastly, what was quoted by Wiersbe early, and I'll close with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, at the acceptable acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Is that tomorrow? Is that, maybe you've never done that before. Maybe today is that moment and you realize, I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I want to follow. I've count, I, I realize there's a cost. I realize it may bring division. I realize all these things, but today is the day. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. If you're watching or otherwise, I want you to pray this. You'll become part of an unpopular community. That's true, certainly in our 21st century. But let me tell you something. If it's true, it's true. And I believe, based upon Jesus' words and all the signs of the time, it corroborates the cost that must be paid. It's his ultimate price with his life, but it's now you picking up the cross. Pray these words, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I realize now that I want to settle my accounts on the way to court. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to be turned over to the officer. I don't want to pay every last cent. Lord Jesus, somehow I want, well, 
If I understand this correctly, Jesus, you paid every last cent. When you said it is finished, you might as well have just said every last cent has been paid. God's wrath is exhausted on me, on this brutal, bloody cross. Galatians 2.21, if righteousness could be achieved through the works of the law, then Christ died needlessly. But your prayer today is, Lord, I believe that you did not die needlessly, and I want to align my life with you and you only. I want to become a Jesus follower today. Tell him that right now. Lord, I choose to be. Forgive me. I choose to be a follower. Find a Bible-preaching church. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the second round of fire that will fall and begin to transform your very life. That's a beautiful message. It's glorious. There's not a, there's not a more, and yet, as Paul told the Corinthians, for those who are perishing, it's the stupidest, most foolish message ever proclaimed. But for those who are being saved, well, it's beautiful. It's life-changing. That's all I have for you today. Are you going to be able to get through a Sunday with that, or do you need some more food? I guess we could stay around, and you can hang around. We'll go ahead and start preaching some more. But um, we don't have a closing song. Maybe we should have. That was my fault. But but uh, let's see. Who? Hey, Dennis, why don't you come up here and close us in prayer? Do you mind that? We'll get a former fire chief since we've been pre- preaching about fire all these times. You got a you got a mic? You give me a live mic, guys. Bring a live mic up. Sure, good to see you. I didn't tell him before, but you know you like being put on the spot. You are, in fact, a uh, love you, buddy. Love you. You fought a lot of fires, so now fight a fire in closing prayer for us. Would you mind, Dennis? Your heavenly Father. Yeah, they'll get it on. He he'll get back and get it. He'll he'll get it. He gave it to you. Now he's going to turn it on. <laughs> All right, give it another shot. Shall we uh, approach the throne of God, Lord? Jesus, we come to you and we have bow before you. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which comes to life. And we thank you, Lord, for Pastor Jeff as he breathes life into your word. So many examples that he talked about in science and, and uh, the prophecies. While he was talking, Lord, I was reminded of the 70 weeks of Daniel, which really prophesied when Christ would come. The Jews were looking for their king. They knew because of the prophecy that he was coming, but they rejected him. Lord, we just uh, thank you that we can accept you. We can trust that you've paid the ultimate price for us. And we just thank you from the bottom of our heart for this church for the message that goes out, and we just thank and praise you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Put you right on the spot, and you came right through. Have a great and glorious week. Have a good Sunday.